liftoff. Houston, we have liftoff. You always do that. Yes, it's, it's my thing. I, I, I like making this joke. I, this is my thoughts every time there's a countdown. Look, I just want space back. I just want an actual space program that does not have Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Silver, is that too much to ask for? Yes. Because Karen's in Texas. Really, that's oh, what the excuse God. generator spat out. Not making it up. <laughs> yeah. So, apparently, there's this building in Austin called The Weaver. Um, it's one of those, um, you know, podium condo places that's like, you know, a whole bunch of money. Um, and they plunked it in, like, you know, Latino neighborhood just because land's cheap and who's going to complain, right? Um, well, as it turns out, the sort of Karens who inhabit that place did start complaining because how to put this? They're Karens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And there were, shall we say, pre-existing traditions um, in that neighborhood. Um, one of which centers around cars. There's a car show every Sunday. And the Karens are extremely upset about it. Um, because, you know, loud music, burnouts. Um, I think one of them in the article even said... This looks to me like a display of toxic masculinity. Oh my fucking Which god. Is... Are, are, are we, are they, like, are the Karens using, like, woke scolding to be racist now? Because that looks like it. <laughs> that, that, that looks about right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Um... It's very much, they've figured out that, like, certain people will listen if they frame it in, um, you know, liberal, um, quote-unquote, woke discourse. Crystal Meadow! But, (laughs) I mean, it's very much like, no, you came into this neighborhood, um, and, you know, it's like, you're in the wrong. You're inherently in the wrong here. Yeah, like, if you move to a neighborhood, like, you have to, like, you can't just, like, declare yourself the enemy of that neighborhood's culture, like, especially because when you're moving into, like, a marginalized neighborhood's culture, like, into a marginalized marginalized neighborhood, and, like, declaring yourself an enemy of that culture, because fundamentally, that makes you an invader, like, if you want to actually, like, be a good neighbor, you need to, like, form relations and friendships with your neighbors and, like, you know, <clears throat> and, like, uh, establish, like, you know, like, sharings of, like, of customs, like, or genuine, ba- genuine basis for solidarity, not this fucking Karen shit. Like, you actually have to, like, assimilate into the culture of a marginalized neighborhood genuinely and fight against the landlords and gentrifiers and the fucking bourgeois, like artisanal shit that just pops up everywhere like mushrooms like 
this shit is like, if you're doing this shit, it doesn't matter how much fancy, woke scolding language, doesn't this like, you know, rad lip, ultra-nationalist shit that you like frame it in, you're fundamentally, you are still an invader, you are still a gentrifier, you are still disrupting a people, and you are still enemy. Like, you're being a white supremacist, you're just being better at dressing up in your, your language, but you're still a white supremacist. Like, to put this yeah. in, like, a pop culture frame of reference, because maybe that's something that, you know, the Karens will understand, because that seems to be where they live and where their heads are these days. Um, this is kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, when the Fire Nation... Uh, no, wait, sorry. I, the, I don't think that one will work, because that's actually good shit. Um, and I don't think they've seen Airbender. Um, is there some really shitty Harry Potter metaphor that would work here something about like I, death eaters in a hogwarts or something um i don't fucking know fuck and it's been years I'm, since i've seen the films or read the books so i mean just yeah, go, go back to the avatar reference they felt that was good i you know <laughs> but I, i'm not quite sure if they're gonna get that you know they're the fire nation well, yeah, but they're not going to get it no matter how obvious we are with our language. <laughs> I don't well, I'm trying thing, to meet them halfway. The thing of it is, it's like, what y'all don't seem to understand is, is, like, they paid for this apartment. That means that they get to dictate um, to the neighborhood um, whatever it is they want. Look, all I'm um, saying is that power comes out of the barrel of a gun. I don't care how much money that they have. Power flows from the barrel of a gun here. I don't give a shit about these Karens. Well, I mean, it's like, I think they think, real talk, I think it's like they think, well, you know, I've got the money and, like, I'm a Karen, so the cops will listen to me. And it's, you know, it's Austin PD. Of course, they're going to take my side. Um, And they get even madder when, like, some uh, uh, at least some of the neighborhood cops decide you know what this is not my problem <laughs> and shutting this down would be more paperwork than it would solve so is that happening <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah they, oh my the God. are like you know what i'm not getting paid enough for this bullshit and this doesn't look like fun and yeah welcome to shop shop economics <laughs> Oh, we read this we read hilarious this sh- shit so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Miss Silver, do you want to introduce us? Um, sure. I'm Miss Silver. Uh, with me today is Doc Spider. And it's me, HQ. So, let's see. Top economic news. Oh, um, boy. Is anybody hungry? I am. So, uh, how, how about those uh, food prices? Fuck. Yeah, it's being reported everywhere at this point. Even... CNBC has given some brief shouts to bottom end inflation. So, Doc, I have oh a question boy. here. What what happens when you know food prices get really high for like 
you know, look for the lower class. Are there some, like, historical patterns? I'm just blanking out right now. Well, I mean, you know, the ruling class might like to point to things like the Donner Party, but I would want to point out those were, like, you know, a bunch of petite bourgeois settlers, so... Yeah, not really a good comparison there, but, you know, maybe... You know, uh, there there could be certain events around the years 
the retail types would call um, shrinkage. And while, you know, retail enterprises do try to control shrinkage as much as they can, some is inevitable. And a lot of our underlying assumptions behind just-in-time delivery, just-in-time logistics, our you know, current logistical system assumes that nothing will go wrong in the flow of goods and services um, from nodes and to nodes. And wait, I just realized the, the title name of our episode: <laughs> Assume a spherical logistical system. <laughs> That's a little wordy. Um, we'll workshop it. <laughs> Well, um, I guess we could go with the same as a spherical cow. That is a classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, Consider you know, it a spherical cow. Because that's the kind of bullshit these guys are basing it off of. You can actually find that exact verbiage in economics publications and papers and shit. Like, ones that are supposed to be staffed by intelligent, highbrow people that are sitting around going... Well, we're just going to imagine, like, a frictionless spherical cow is the basis of our economic system. And while Milton mm-hmm. Fuckoff Friedman's sitting over here going, well, we're just going to assume the billiards player in our hypothetical economy is, like, you know, knows every angle and shot perfectly before we even discuss this theory. You know. Just economic <gasps> shit. Oh my God. Simplifying assumptions. <laughs> But don't exist. It turns out if you... I mean, it turns out if you use too many of them, the whole enterprise falls apart. And it's just like, here's the thing, it's just like, if you oversimplify your model, it, you run into the classic problem of junk in, junk out. As Einstein said, uh, you want to, like, have an explanation be as simple as possible, but no simpler. Hmm. And they're going against motherfucking Einstein. And yeah. what's funny is that there's so many ways that this really dumb, rock-headed, theoretical stupidity shows up as, like, gonna get slapped in everyone's face again and with Oakland, California, because now Oakland, for our other big top news item, is now going to be the largest city in the United States that will be rolling out a universal basic income pilot program to a limited number of Oakland residents. Yeah. Isn't it something like um, 600 families, $500 a month? Yeah, something along those lines. Mm. And they've been putting out some stuff in the local like press, like I think about it, like a week or two ago. Um, specifically going, hey, are you an artist? Please apply for this program. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, a little tidbit there, but <laughs> yeah, Oakland's gonna do the thing that's been tried in parts of Scotland, Finland, Stockton, California. Um, where did they do it in Canada again? Um, I want to say like Toronto? Something or Ontario? Like that. Oh, yeah, Ontario. And- Oh, yeah, in every single country that, you know, did the smart COVID policy thing of we're just going to pay you to stay home and not get sick. Um, And if you're, you know, going with the Italian model, also suspending rent and mortgages for a hot minute, you know, as has been attempted in all of these examples. And um, 
Ms. Silver, what was the failure rate of this bold and insane plan of paying people money for existing? I don't know off the top of my head, but it was pretty low. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No worries. And here's the thing is like Oakland is a bit is like a well known city where like it's one of those cities where if Oakland does a major policy, other cities are likely gonna copy it. So yeah. if if Oakland like has success at this pilot program, which statistically they are very, 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 very likely to have success, then you could potentially see other cities throughout the United States doing pilot programs. Well, yeah, it, but the, oh, maybe, but this is where ideology comes into play, because, you know, as you both have alluded to, yeah, every single, every single example of UBI being tested at scale has come back with the result of, hey, guess what? It makes people's lives better, and they still are economically productive, because people yeah. want to do things, like, the vast majority of the population are not neats living in the basement, um... Yeah, and it's, like, it is kind of also important to note that, like, for a lot of needs, it's it's not, it's never as voluntary as everyone seems to imply. Like, you trace back a lot of Hikikomori accounts, and it's, like, half the complaints are, like, aren't just, like, I don't want to deal with people anymore. It's... I've applied for like 300 fucking companies and my only option is to work at a 7-Eleven um, and they don't pay very well and why would I do this to myself? It's like, it's very rooted in material conditions. The condition of being in, you know, not engaged in employment, education or training like that's that's very common because we've our respective societies have like made it impossible in many cases like they kicked the ladder out and then they're like they're shocked that people don't want to work at Taco Bell for um seven bucks an hour (laughs) and there's also all these like just studies examples whole countries like most of the european union australia new zealand um just to rattle a few off the top of my head where it's been proven if you give people a living wage they're happier they're healthier they're more productive um and when i say living wage i don't mean like enough to afford rent in san francisco and utilities and whatnot and that's it i mean like you know you actually have money left over to dick around and pursue ultimately the biggest question here is that like we have seen a lot of like you know cities and a region uh like uh provinces and countries have done pilot programs but none of them have gotten off the ground and i feel like it comes down to like a fundamental problem like a problem not because it isn't profitable because it is really good for the economy but Fundamentally, it goes against an axiom that the capitalist class doesn't like to publicly talk about, but we should acknowledge is that of labor discipline. Is that, like, they're worried that if they give, you know, too much gain to the workers, then the workers are going to get, you know, 
just you know too arrogant, too full of hubris, and they're going to lose their power. Then the ruling class are going to lose their power, and it's just going to be anarchy and chaos, and like it'll just be so bad. I mean, that's the logic they go through. Is that like the reason why they haven't gone for UBI before is not because it isn't profitable. It's because it goes against this axiom of labor discipline that the ruling class simply is not going to let go of. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what I was... Uh, that's part of what I was getting at. Like, there's this... A lot of the neat phenomenon arises out of refusal of labor discipline. Why do you really want to be a slave for eight bucks an hour? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because when you brought that up, I was thinking of... Um, there is There was this really great philosopher, Mark Fisher, who like, talked a lot about, like how like mental health gets very individualized like i'll read this quote capitalist realism insists on tre treating mental health as if it were a natural fact like weather but then again weather is no longer a natural fact so much as a political economic effect in the 1960s and 1970s radical theory and politics lang foucault la luz and guattari etc coalesced around extreme mental conditions such as schizophrenia, arguing, for instance, that madness was not a natural but a political category. But what is needed now is a politicization of much more common disorders. Indeed, it is their very commonness which is the issue. In Britain, depression is now the condition that is most treated by the NHS. In the book, The Selfish Capitalist, Oliver James has convincingly posited a correlation between rising rates of mental distress and the neoliberal mode of capitalism practiced in countries like Britain, the United States, and Australia. In line with mm -hmm. James' claims, I want to argue that it is necessary to reframe the growing problem of stress and de-stress and distress in capitalist societies instead of treating it as incumbent on individuals to resolve their own psychological distress, instead, that is, of accepting the vast privatization of stress that has taken place over the last 30 years, we need to ask how many has it become, how has it become acceptable that so many people, and especially many young people, are ill? And that's the quote, but it's like that's the thing that Mark Fisher talks about is mental health is not an individualistic problem. Like, the psychic, the psychic economy of desire, um, it comes from like the like the like material, the economic like production of desire. Like these two are intimately connected to each other. What Miss Silver talks about in Japan, where like you had all these people who just like kept looking for like you know, all these different jobs until they eventually gave up and like retreated from society. I mean, in the United States, we call it like a, a neat, like. When we see this, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's because you have people who are constantly trying to climb the ladder to try to get some goddamn hope, and the ruling class just refuses to let down the fucking ladder. Well, it's like those yeah. addiction studies they did where they look, where, like, some biologists looked at all the studies that have been done proving, you know, drug addiction, and said, well, wait a minute, we need to actually look at the conditions we put these rats in, because in all the original studies, it was just, like, a rat in a cage with a 
water bottle and a water bottle with cocaine. So, of course, the rat's going to go suck on the water bottle with cocaine. So instead, he says, okay, let's do that. Let's keep that thing on one side, and on the other side, let's make, like, fucking rat Disneyland with other rats and food and wheels and toys to play with and shit. And here's a water bottle with water. Here's a water bottle laced with cocaine. And what happened? The rats weren't interested in the coke. But the rats that were in the normal cage were like, God damn, get me some of that fucking and snow right now, because I'm going to fucking die in here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we noticed this effect first in Japan because of the Ice Age of Unemployment, where basically, once you're out of school, um, you've basically only got one shot at full-time employment. Like, that's that's basically it. Um a lot of countries in the West didn't have that specific peculiarity, so the phenomenon didn't show up until, you know, our social fabric had more virally broken down. But in Japan, the process was greatly exaggerated, accelerated, because their system was so punishing. Like, you only have one shot in your life to achieve full-time on full-time employment that's i mean of course people are gonna break in that kind of situation speaking of shit breaking (laughs) (laughs) i I think i I hear the buzzing of God. What what news has the Plague Father brought this day? So, turns out the um, rapid widespread vaccine rollouts in South Carolina and Florida in a bid to get the economy started again have actually done a lot worse than much slower and more methodical and phased rollouts in other countries and other parts of the U.S. Uh, according to the Associated Press, the reason why is because too many people could apply, eligibility was too broad, Infrastructure didn't exist, and there were not enough vaccines. So, oops. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the whole point behind the slow, phased rollout was to make sure that the number of people who were eligible at least vaguely matched um, the number of vaccines that were available. Like, it's a priority system. You only have 10,000, so you need to just distribute them to the 10,000 who need it the most, who are most in danger of dying from this fucking disease. And so, if it's like... (laughs) I mean, it's just so... It's so perverse. I think the thing that cracks me up about all of this is that, like, you can clearly tell that, like, the fucking lanyards and it... And just like the bureauc and like the bureaucracy hounds, like all those people, like and like the fucking capitalist class, like they don't like they've like forgotten to like understand how like their material structures work, and fundamentally they don't understand their power emanates from infrastructure. If the infrastructure mm-hmm. is not in place in order to do these fancy policy goals, like they could say, they, they, like we could say today, like let, I don't know, let's say hypothetically, like I became the president today. I could say 
in, in the year 2025, we are going to make the moon made out of cheese. But unless there is an infrastructure to turn the entire moon into cheese, it's just fancy words. Like, you need the infrastructure. That is the basis of your power. And the issue is that our infrastructure in the United States has been crumbling for a long, long time. Like, there's not that capacity to project power like there used to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Good job, America. Reminding everybody what not to do. Um, and then another example of things not to do. Um, current projections by uh, health experts suggest that due to intellectual property laws around the vaccines themselves, the actual global rollout of total vaccination against COVID-19 may not be finished until 2024. Oh, so, how bad is it? It's, like, like we talked about last week that the EU was threatening mm-hmm. to be like, that's a cute little trademark you got there. We're just going to take it, Pfizer. Yeah. And the thing and to keep in mind about was... Pfizer is it's a German company. Like, with the way, like, patronage networks work in Germany for its, like, ruling class... Like, if the, ruling cla- if the ruling class got pissed enough in Germany at Pfizer, they could freeze Pfizer, at- Pfizer and the associated people out. Like, the question is, like, they have, like, and that's just, like, within Germany itself. Like, the European Union has the legal mechanisms, as we talked about before, to be able to do this if they want to, to be able to, like, say, haha, like, you think that, like, intellectual property is cool? Like, we need to keep our people alive. The question is, do they have the political capital to do that? And that is that is in question right now. Well, I don't think it's even a question of political capital. It's a question of who's going to jump first. Because practically speaking, all the political capital you actually need to um, do this is anything from... And again, these operate on different time scales on the low end saying neat we're just gonna like over order the vaccine by you know 500 doses or something and we're gonna send those doses off to a local lab and they're gonna make a bootleg version all the way up to hi we're the Bundeswehr and we are seizing this factory in the name of the federal republic of germany and don't even think about running for the door you know yeah. these are things that just come down to do you have people who are willing and able to do it? And I wouldn't be surprised if there's already some intellectual piracy going on around vaccines worldwide. So this really is a situation of, even though politically it's risky to like call out the United States like this, practically speaking, it's not a big lift. Yeah. And like there's a lot of moaning about like vaccine diplomacy and it's like in the medium term i'm starting to think that like frankly the chinese probably have it right because their plan has been not just sending vaccine doses um though they do do that they also send information like okay, so here's how to produce the Sinopharm vaccine. And that that sort of diplomacy, you know, obviously helps their 
you know, foreign policy objectives more than, you know, being like, no, you can't have it. We might eventually um, condescend to send you like 10,000 Moderna um, every so often, but yeah, you shouldn't expect anything from us, and if you try to, like, make it yourself, we will um, sue you into oblivion using the WTO. And here's and... the fundamental issue, is, like, it's, like, <laughs> it's transcended, like, the fucking, like, private property, like, thing, is that literally, like, like, there have been multiple countries who have made orders, like, in order to get vaccines that haven't been shipped because the United States is preventing them from getting shipped. Yeah, and it's like, I can't even blame the United States, except for the fact that, like, you know, you kind of did contract to do this. I mean, you should either just say that, like, um, we're not going to be selling any vaccine produced here to anyone. Y'all can just piss up a rope. Um, it just This half-ass bullshit... You know, shit or get off the pot. Are you going to sell them or not? Like, and it's not help fucking by, mind. And it's not helped by that the U.S. is doing its time-honored, frequently invoked proviso to capitalism called a contract is a contract and is a contract, except when I have more money. Yeah. Like I think this whole, <laughs> this whole fucking mess, is just. Ugh. it's like either they can go ahead and like just say no we're not we're not gonna sell anything or yeah we're just gonna give away half the doses that were intended for americans and you know damn the domestic consequences it's like at least and trump was honest about like yeah, about yes. that. it's like and like but the, the issue is that there's a lot of the, these, like, Trumpian policies. The Biden administration has continued of being, like, dressed up in pretty language, and the rest of the world simply is not buying it. Like, this is something that, like, rapidly is eroding the Washington consensus. And when you have the yeah. PRC that is doing, like, that is, like, sharing, like, both, like, vaccine-produced vaccines and information, along with other, like, you know, other forms of, like, material aid throughout the world. Like, it's easy to do the math here. Like, it's not the United States that's going to be getting, like, international legitimacy. And what's really funny with this is the U.S. has done that before with this thing called polio. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like this is some kind of wow the Chinese Communist Party is really brilliant guys kind of moment. It's for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> Jonas Salk would like to have a word. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really just like basic policy proposals that, like, because of just how, like, fa- you know, ra- how far right, like, pol- like, establishment politics in the United States have shifted are seen as unrealistic when these are the, like, the literal tools of both maintaining your internal state pop like power and your legitimacy on the international stage. 
Yeah. It's... Like, like I'm sorry, but like, good infrastructure <laughs> is not communism. It's nice, but it's not communism. Sometimes the public health crisis, getting ahead of profit, is the smart thing to do because then you have workers and consumers at the end. Yeah. I mean, it's very much... And this is... This is sort of why I have a collapse thesis for the United States in the first place. Like, there is... There's nobody home. There's nobody making, like, you know, optimal decisions anymore. Like, there's no... There's no sense of real politic, and there's no sense of idealism. It's all this vague mishmash of you know, the Trumpist legacy. And we you know, the United States does what it wants and we suffer as we must. It's, and I yeah. just ugh. And fundamentally, I mean, I've said this before, but like to maintain your power, you need both a carrot and a stick. And it doesn't matter how big your stick is, sooner or later, like, it's going to break. And sooner or later, like, the more you use your stick, the more other people are going to think about using their own sticks. Like, if you want to avoid getting into that loop, into that cycle, where eventually your stick breaks and you get bashed in the head by, like, ten people, like, holding bats and not sticks, you need fucking carrots. Not, like, weak-ass shit. You need to be actually be addressing the material needs of people. That means food, housing, healthcare, like, education, all the basic necessities. Like, if you can't do that, you have, you are basic, you have a malice on your legitimacy with your own people. It's sooner or later, they're going to overthrow you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of time. Like, hell, all yeah. that shit is literally why this thing called society existed in the first place. It's like, it's why, you know, people did this thing called farming. Um. Yeah. And it's like, it's not for nothing that a lot of Cold War policy wasn't just, you know, the threat of invasion by the United States and their proxies. It was this sort of foreign aid diplomacy. And now we're just at this point where we cannot decide if we're to be isolationist or not. Um, like Trump is gone, yeah, may he'll return, he probably won't, um, but Trumpism is the status quo now. And Biden is not exactly doing very much to reverse this. Yeah. But there are things that we can do, like in order to make a better world, like, I know the ballot box has failed us over and over again, but we do have to realize that there is power in our labor and, like, what and how we maintain the economy. It's not the bosses that manage things, it's us. And that brings us to what the Kroger workers recently decided to do. Um, Doc or Miss Silver, do you want to, like, lead the introduction? Sure. So short version, L.A. 
city and county is proposing putting forward, or I think they have actually passed it, a measure that says, hi, anyone who's an essential worker, which includes grocery stores like Kroger's, gets a $5 an hour raise for hazard pay. Mm-hmm. Which, long overdue. But, fucking good on them. Um, Kroger's announced they would be shutting down all stores within the relevant district in retaliation, and the workers have just authorized a strike action. Hmm. So, <sighs> fuck yeah. Solidarity <laughs> for fucking ever. Like, support the strike, don't cross the picket line, and if you see a scab, well, <laughs> we do not like scabs on the podcast. Nope. This is a scab-free zone. If you see a scab, you gotta peel that scab off. Yep. <laughs> snitches get stitches, and scabs get, well, you can finish the rhyme. Mm-hmm. Speaking of... <sighs> I... I'm not I sure. I still don't know what to think of this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I don't know. I, I'd be totally good with just, like, you know, a solid five minutes of laughing, but that feels like <laughs> taking the piss out of the listeners. Yeah. Um, so, we should probably see what look, we're talking about look, here. All I'm saying is, what do we want? An 80-hour work week. When do we want it? At Goldman Sachs. So, yeah, like, finance finance analysis and a lot of that stuff, like, it's like law school, where if you get into, like, the big co-firms, then you basically work your ass off for five years and then you can cruise. Um, Or, in the lawyer's case, make partners. Um, but in, you know, like the first few years, you gotta like absolutely crush it. You gotta destroy your fucking life. You gotta destroy your fucking body so that you get your paycheck. Um, and that's how basically finance has worked, you know, over the past century plus. Like, you gotta work your ass off. Um, Never mind that, like, the absolute maximum that you can sustain knowledge work is something like 40 hours a week. And even that's coming into question. The total may actually be lower. Um, I don't know where that comes from, because when I was working in tech, I can assure you that everybody spent, like, half the day dicking around on Facebook. Oh, yeah, that's, like, that's how you survive doing that sort of work. Like... If you uh, if you actually went full throttle at one of those jobs, you would burn out so quickly. I mean, as it is, you're stranded there for like fourteen hours, and in order to have like you know the slightest bit of sanity, you you spend half the work uh, the workday goofing off. 
like that's ha- that's how it actually tends to work but I guess they don't even allow them that much um I mean, well, I suppose being on call for, like, 80 fucking hours would, like, destroy you. So. So, yeah. yeah. The, apparently, these poor schmucks at Goldman Sachs have been working in excess of 90 hours a week, and they literally just, like, a group of them put out this, like, please, sir, can I have some more letter to the executives? And I think, like, someone at sea level was like, oh, that's so terrible. We sh- totally, you shouldn't be doing that, we swear. While we encourage them to keep doing that, Smithers, where are the dogs? Um. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You can, you can hear the button clicking um, under the desk. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know I how to feel like, about this. I mean, okay, I think it's kind of, it gives us a a way to look at like, what's been happening to the financial economy, but um, I feel a good way to lead into that is, okay, so my entire life, I've done performance in one way or another. I grew up doing theater, um, and there comes a time that many people who've done performance will know the name of this. is Hell Week, where it's, you know, right when you're doing, when your rehearsals are the most intense, and like mm-hmm. this is, and it's usually right before the show's like open because you want to get it like all solid and right together. And it is a very, very careful balance. And if you have like a bad production team, if you have like a bad director, if you have a, a bad choreographer, if you have like like other people on the production team who don't know what they're doing, like what can happen is the like Hell Week is literally Hell Week. That's why it's called Hell Week. And that you get overwhelmed, like, you're just, like, you're doing all of, like, all of this labor that just exhausts you and drains you, that you just get so exhausted that you just throw up, and, like, you have no energy, you don't know what to do, like, just think of that, if you're, like, an, and let's look at Goldman Sachs, if you're an, an analyst working, like, over 80 hours a week, because keep in mind, they're asking for 80 hours a week, like, that, which implies they were, are working for many more hours and if you're like on call for much longer than 80 hours a week and let's be realistic 80 hours a week alone that is gonna like undermine you it's gonna make your decisions harder and harder you're gonna have a hard time analyzing what's going Mm -hmm. on and you're gonna make a lot of big mistakes like oh i don't know maybe uh endorsing bitcoin or something yeah People yeah. wonder why cocaine and dominatrixes are so popular in the city of London and on Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same reason people use meth and heroin um, on the factory floor. Like, production must be attended to. And the only way to get ahead is, you know, invoke that... N- rational economic choice use drugs you know it like partially restores my faith in the universe that even finance has to run off of like squeezing blood from stones in the most grotesque ways imaginable and they don't just have the pure fucking derivative bullshit down to the point that they're literally magicking money like they still have to do the alchemy of exploiting the fuck out of actual human beings to make this work but at the same time it's like 
you signed up with Goldman Sachs. You knew what you were getting into. You could have, like, you know, gone and worked for a fucking mom and pop down the street, or, like, a fucking credit union, or managing, like, a pension fund or something. And it's, like, honestly, like, I know this is gonna sound rather cold, but, like, having, like, seen the kinds of people who often go to Ivy League universities in order to get the, like, the fancy piece of paper so they can fucking work at Wall Street. These people are fucking monsters. Like, you brought this upon your fucking self. Well, and even the ones who aren't, because they buy into the whole meritocratic bullshit and they got some kind of scholarship because, you know, the Ivy League has realized they can't be, like, nakedly eugenicist, so they have to occasionally let a poor in and pay for it. Like, the people that are coming out from that you've got even less of an excuse because you should fucking know better. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know that unless you, like, make a move that's, like, completely brilliant, blows uh, the doors off of everything, like, you know, um, is shorting housing back in 2007. I mean, unless you make, like, some move like that you're not going to make the fuck you money. You're going to be stuck doing this for the rest of your life. And you've already destroyed your body in your 20s. And, like, ultimately, like, it's the issue is that, like, when you have, like, the financial economy, like, handing down diktats about, like, how our, like, our, like, productive economy is run, the issue that we Mm -hmm. run... Like, with these kind of people who are on call for more than 80 hours a week, who are over-exhausted, have, like, brain empty, no thoughts, are just scrambling everywhere, are desperate, and don't know what they're doing to the point of investing in Bitcoin, all this stuff, like, you know, for historically, a lot of of the money that they've invested has gone into petrocapital. Petrocapital has gotten increasingly desperate. Like, increasingly desperate to do really backhanded shit that you used to be able to do very openly. Uh, I think, Miss Silver, mm-hmm. we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's very much... Like, fuck. It's just... The whole thing is just built on this assumption that you make your money and you leave and it doesn't work that way anymore oh yeah especially not in minnesota nope yeah oh god how they got this through i don't i don't fucking know um i suspect the real answer is bribes (laughs) it always Uh, is (laughs) Yeah, uh, excuse me. Donations to sheriff re-election campaigns and equipment budgets. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, don't don't no, forget the party. Bribes. Don't forget the parties and the wine and the gifts. Oh but yeah, that too. The schmoozing. It's only bribery if it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Basically, what happened was, like, Embridge Line Free is a very old pipeline. It needs refurbishment. 
but the refurbishment, as I understand it, is already pretty much done. But they've done that house flipping thing where, like, they gut the entire house and just leave, like, a facade. Um, and then they put in an entirely new McMansion on the lot. And then they demolish the um, vintage facade. They, they basically did that with the line free permit. They're extending the pipeline um, and they're extending it through the Mississippi River, which is an incredibly bad idea. I, I, I don't think I can really. Captain Planet was too subtle. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't oversee how. If you did this in Captain Bad Planet. idea this is. I, you, I, yeah. I just have a question. Like, what <laughs> river do we rely on for most of our agriculture east of the Rockies? I feel like it's like it starts with an M. It's really big. How do, how do I say this word? What's the name of this river? Mississippi, Mississippi. and Ohio. And, uh, where, and they want to build this pipeline, I believe, under the Mississippi? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Granted, it would be really high up in the watershed, but that just means, you know, shit flows downhill. So, yeah, contaminating the entire Mississippi River in case of a catastrophic failure. Um, which would also contaminate the Ohio River. Um like you can't rely on the stream direction to protect you on this and i think embridge kind of is they're like oh no no this is like you know this isn't where the river starts so this isn't a big deal fuck you um but it's like no no i don't really trust your judgment on this you stand to make you think you stand to make a lot of money on this and that's why you're doing this no other reason they basically want to sell like all of the Mississippi river complex of like agriculture and and towns and cities uh, you know they want to like you know sell it away just so they can just like make the last like bit of fumes from the collapse of like petro capital but like if there is a spill like the contamination it would cause will cause a massive agricultural crisis food prices are already going up so if a spill happens food prices would spike and keep in mind that the united states is the breadbasket for the world because this is how like we set how like the united states set up like pax americana like the washington consensus so the rest of the world had to rely on the United States for agriculture and food, like no mm -hmm. other places to get it. But if the entire like Mississippi River agricultural complex gets contaminated, we're gonna see massive food riots in most countries in the world. Like we would see a lot of revolutions. I mean, like we're we here at Shop Shop are very very lucky to be on the West Coast. But like that doesn't mean that like. It would not. We would not feel the ramifications over here. Like this is a pipeline that fundamentally oh, yeah. should not happen. Like if you are if you are anywhere east of the Rockies, you should be at the protests against 
this fucking pipeline. Because it is an existential yeah. threat. Which, incidentally, the cops, uh, according to The Intercept, are already gearing up for. They are assuming yeah. that pipeline defense will justifiably be fierce, especially because... Oh, wait, Keystone XL's dead. Yeah. The Stop KXL, Kill the Black Snake campaign worked. That's fucking and chum in the shark tank there, buddy. Yeah, and it's like, it's worth noting that Line Free is mostly used for carrying tar sand oil. Like, uh, you know, they've got... Okay, they've, they've, got to, they've like, graduated from, yeah. like, Captain Planet to Legion of Doom territory here. <laughs> Yeah, like, this isn't, like, Texas sweet crude that they're, um, you know, rerouting. Um, this is Alberta garbage oil. Um, like, you can barely use that shit for fucking bunker fuel on container ships. Look, all I'm saying is that if the entire Mississippi River complex gets contaminated because of the Alberta like. Uh, like fossil fuel industry, I am saying that there is a serious casus belli to liberate the oppressed nations in Canada from the curse of both the of petro capital and the real estate market and the whole settler system. Because I'm not going <laughs> to let those fucking Albertans contaminate and destroy our entire agricultural like complex. No fucking way in hell. Fuck that shit. You know, assuming they don't manage to, like, accidentally, like, you know, kill the Mississippi Basin first. Well, I mean, at that, at that point, I think that, like, nuking Canada would be, um, while not really justifiable, understandable. I don't think anyone would blame the U.S. in those circumstances. What's left of it? No, no. <laughs> Ah, uh, speaking of. <laughs> so, you might have, if you were watching anything that's not CNBC, heard about a little traffic jam in Egypt that's got the global economy shitting fucking pyramids. Mm-hmm. So, how do we want to approach this? It is... Majorly fucked. Um, um, oh, yeah. Okay, so ever, there are like certain points throughout the world where, like, if we think about our world economy, it's not like, don't think of it as sort of like this big, like, map where certain areas are painted and, like, that's how the economy work, like, works. Like, this is not a paradox game. It's not, the economy doesn't work based off map, of, like, map painting, it works based off flows. And in this case, what is relevant here is there are a lot of flows of ships carrying, like, a lot of cargo that maintain the capitalist world system. And the Suez Canal is one of those points in the world where, <laughs> like, a, most of the world's ships, like, cargo ships, like, carrying a, a lot of, like, you know, manufactured goods to different places of the world, passes through. 
Like, mm-hmm. and think of this as an artery. This artery got clogged. Miss um, Silver, do you want to get into this? Okay, so basically the MV ever given, uh, 20,000, uh, no, uh, 200,000 um, MV, 400 meter long, um, basically Suez Max. Um, they uh, ran aground and jammed themselves into the canal um, in a single lane. Um, so the Suez Canal is closed because traffic cannot pass through under this condition. Um, the ship got stuck Tuesday. Um, they've been trying to refloat it and get it off of the sandbar, um, for a while now. Um, as of four hours ago, they suspended, um, their effort, their latest effort to refloat it. Um, like, they've managed to partially refloat it, but they don't have it moving. It cannot move under its own power. Um, and it's been stuck there for about 36 hours. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it blows out everything passing through the Suez Canal node. And I, I should note that in EU4, they did change it so that there are trade flows. Um, think of this as, like, the uh, Suez Canal uh, node, and it's, like, one of the most valuable on the map. Um, So, (laughs) basically, what's happened is, like, there is a massive traffic jam coming into and out of the canal on both ends. Um, And there's basically nothing that can be done about it until this ship is refloated, is able to move under its own power again and is escorted the fuck out into the Mediterranean. This sounded a um, lot like the global economy is experiencing something like what happened to one of my old bosses when he had some bad shallots. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is... Yeah. The canal is constipated. And it's like, you may it's have heard that, ends. like... Yeah. Like... You may have heard that, like, oh, they got it refloated, they got it refloated. No, they didn't. Uh, as of recording, they still don't. Uh, while they did get it partially refloated, it's not moving under its own power, and that's the real criteria. They still haven't managed to get out of its sideways position. The damn thing is stuck. And what's really, like, the best part about this is the whole, like, frictionless supply chains shit we were talking about earlier <laughs> hi friction how you doing um like, especially friction. friction that's like this is the most friction oh yeah this is like if, if you're talking two major general routes that chinese east asian anything follow at sea one goes across mm-hmm. the pacific to uh ports on the west coast of the United States, Mexico, etc. The other goes through the Suez Canal to the European Union. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I'm, like, looking yeah. at, like, marine traffic right now. Like, there's a map of this. And, like, this, I've seen, like, Southern Californian traffic before. This is, like, a whole other level. This is bad. 
Oh, yeah. This is like, there were already ships floating at anchor outside the port of L.A. because of the impact of COVID just completely fucking up supply chains as is. Now you've got one of the most critical arteries of trade is clogging up in an economy that says, like, measures shit in fucking seconds. Yeah. Like, even if they got this ship refloated right this second, and it powered full steam ahead right out of the fucking canal, that would still be an unacceptable delay, as far as everyone is concerned. So, Doc, I have a question here for you. Um, if you had to do some, na- um, just a guesstimate here, like, just an educated guesstimate, how bad do you think the economic losses stand as of right now and what do you project they could be if this thing does not get floated anytime soon we already know that manufacturers not just in europe but everywhere are looking at just absolute dog shit lead times at this point and the supply orders not being met and shit falling off and this is just not a good time this is so not a good time for somebody to, like, T-bone themselves in the Suez Canal. Just, no. There's going to be so many manufacturers and exporters who are going to be looking at everything from, like, semiconductors to uh, smartphones and everything in between who are going to be absolutely fucked, and their buyers are going to be fucked, and those buyers include, you know, the United States. Um... And other parts of the world. So, hey, what was that about economic recovery again? (laughs) And and this shit is not like totally out of the blue because there's been growing reports and maritime trade sources for the last year of increasing quantities of cargo getting lost overseas and accidents at sea and just shit going haywire because maritime crews were already being pushed to the edge and COVID has pushed them over. Yeah. I mean, it's like... This guy just fucked up in the Suez Canal. (laughs) I just like... Yeah, like... My big worry here is just, like, if if it's, like, so bad that there's a risk of, like, major arteries, like the Suez Canal, basically getting getting clogged, my worry is what what happens if this happens to the Panama Canal? Yeah, the Panama Canal's not as anywhere near as big as the Suez Canal in terms of critical traffic. It's just like... This is just one more of those things that we keep seeing. Like, There's not going to be that one thing that kills this economy. It's going to be because this economy is fundamentally broken and waiting to collapse under its own fucking detritus and bullshit. And here's more. <laughs> I mean, it's like... As it is, you know, they blockaded the canal for, like, eight fucking years. Um, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. And then there was a minor war fought over it in 56. Like, a ship getting stranded there by accident doesn't sound like that big a deal, but it fucks everything everything and it the best part is is this isn't even like you know some bullshit saber rattling by Egypt or Israel or 
you know, some terrorist group. This is just some dumb fuck um, rammed a sandbar and beached their fucking ship. Like, this is just a fuck up. And it doesn't matter that it wasn't on purpose. This is going to destabilize things because we're now a lot more dependent on that fucking canal than we were back then. And we were already pretty dependent on it. But the French and the British bet their whole damn empires on it and lost. Yeah. I mean, we nearly came to early nuclear war over it. Like, that's how important the fucking canal is. People were willing to risk nuclear exchange for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that gets us to, you know, our last word. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. This has been... Yeah, I'm just... Fuck. (laughs) I don't... I don't even know what to say. I mean... Everything is just... The best thing I can say is just... (laughs) Get involved with, like, your local street-left organizations. Like, not the microsects, but people genuinely doing mass politics. Get involved in mutual aid networks. Like, get involved in unionizing. Like, there are so, there are so like, read about mutual aid networks. Read about dual power. There are so many th- things that you can do, like, that don't require you just to, like, go to, like, the ballot box and just kind of, like, and then go back home and drink, you know, a bottle of wine, try to forget about what's going to happen in the next four years. Like, there are things that we can do. We have power. We have to use it. The system is incredibly incompetent. It is falling apart because of structural issues with a decline in the rate of profit over time. This is a time where we have, we ourselves have to build a better world and you know my personal my personal like suggestion if you're in the united states right now is get involved in labor organizing and support the union vote in like in uh where was it in alabama like at the amazon warehouse like fucking support that because if they can unionize there we can unionize anywhere in the fucking united states hell yeah fuck yeah it's yeah, this is just the sheer, like, I don't even at this point with these guys. They just keep fucking passing on the mulligans. They keep passing on the easy, you know, maybe we shouldn't do the goddamn stupid thing. Maybe we shouldn't, like, piss on the electric fence, even though somebody securitized the act of pissing on the electric fence. Well, we piss on this electric fence of journalism, so you don't have to. This is Chop Shop Economics signing off. This is HQ, and my fellow co-hosts are... Miss Silver. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Good luck, everyone. Bye, everybody. uh, We will see you next week.